On this week's episode of the I-501C, the podcast for nonprofit board members, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dawn Stanhope, the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Clubs of Manatee County. And she's been in this role for nine years. And so she shares a wealth of information on working with boards primarily, and we touch on a couple other topics as well. So please join me and enjoy this conversation with Dawn Stanhope. Hey everybody, this is Michael Corley. Just wanted to let you know, we are now sending out a weekly, very brief newsletter, tips, tricks, pointers to nonprofit executives. That includes both board members and CEOs, executive directors. If you're interested in receiving this, please go to thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter, and you can sign up. Once again, that's thecorleycompany.com forward slash newsletter. Excited to be interviewing Dawn Stanhope, the president and CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Manatee County. Dawn, welcome. And I tell you what, while our audience is listening, why don't you share a little bit with us how you came about to become CEO of the Boys and Girls Club? Well, thank you so much for this opportunity, Michael. I'm really pleased to be able to join you today. I came to Boys and Girls Club actually as a volunteer and a donor to the Manchester, New Hampshire clubs back in... Oh my gosh, I'm going to date myself. It's been at least 20 years since then. Um, and I actually started with them in a service project where we brought kids out to a local pond and taught them how to fish. And it was in conjunction with the Manchester Kiwanis Club that I was becoming a member of. And I tell people with the pun intended somewhat that I was hooked ever since. <laughs> Absolutely love the kids, the energy, the excitement they brought to the day. Um, you know, then I learned more about what Boys and Girls Club was all about and all of the, the different activities and programs for the kids and just to absolutely love the mission. And so I was I was pretty involved up north. And then my husband and I decided after both kids were out of the house and we were going to be empty nesters, we really wanted to move south. My mom's from St. Petersburg originally, um, happened that the opportunity came available here in Manatee County at the same time that I was looking to make a big change. And we've been here now for nine years and I absolutely love it. I mean, to be able to take something that you're so passionate about and that you've been able to see the impacts of over those years and translate that into your calling and, and bringing those passions together, I, I really couldn't be more blessed. Well, we're glad you're here. And I can't believe it's been nine years, Don, because I remember when you came, like you, you read the article in the paper, and I cannot believe that was nine years ago. My goodness gracious. And you have continued to transform and benefit those kids in Manatee County ever since. But let me ask you a little bit now, get moving into your role as CEO. So you are CEO of this organization. You've got one, dare I say, two boards of directors, which we can talk a, a little bit about. How, how do you approach working with a board of directors? Do you have a philosophy? Yeah, working with boards is really like working with anybody, right? It's all about relationships. And so for me, it's really getting to understand who the people are that I've committed in this way. It's such a special opportunity to have somebody join a board as a volunteer. They're not being paid for what they're doing. And you have to keep that in mind because as the CEO, I, I receive pay for what I do. But for them, it's really that love and the joy of giving back to the community and, and wanting to... Um, you know, leave a legacy in some way. And so I think it's really the philosophy is getting to know the people you're working with and then finding what ways they can connect in that are really going to elevate the work that you're doing and leave them at the end of the day feeling really great about their time and investment of, of you know, not only time, but resources and financial resources and, 
and other skills that they provide. I love that intentionality. It's about relationships. You recognize that. So that means it's going to take time. You know, we're always in a hurry, but you really do have to take one-on-one -on -one time with your board members. I'm curious, what do you see as a CEO's role in engaging the board? What are things you can do to engage board members? Yeah, engagement is a really critical piece because we're not looking for people's names to just be added to a letterhead. And it's not a resume builder. It's really about the work of the organization and meeting the mission. And so for me and my role as CEO, I really see that as being the connector between the board and the rest of our staff, as well as to our constituencies, which in our case, it's the kids. They're the center of everything that we do. And, and really use, using that board relationship as an opportunity to build the awareness and the advocacy throughout the community. You know, I'm one person. I can only meet with so many people in a year's time. Board members have the ability to really take that to another level. So the more people that we surround ourselves with who have that commitment and the passion and can tell the story and can get others excited, you know, that's good investment of my time because that one board member could be talking to another 50 people or 100 people or who knows how many. So I want to be able to give them the tools and resources they need so they can be successful because all that's going to come back around to serving the kids well. And, and when you're working and you're talking and you're building these relationships with board members, just curious, how much time does it take? How much time do you think you spend? Is it with each board member? Is it just with certain board members? How do you approach your, your time management? That's a great question. It can take up all of your time if you let it. <laughs> so that's sort of the caveat behind it. But for me, it's really that balancing of things. And so I really look at the beginning of determining where they want to plug in, and then I'll connect them to the people that are closest to that particular initiative. Um, some board members are definitely ones that you're going to spend more time with because of the nature of that, that relationship and what they're doing. So, for example, I'll use Omar Edwards. Omar Edwards is our vice chair of our corporate board, and he also sits in the strategic planning seat for the school district of Manatee County, a critical partner for the work that we do. So with Omar, I'm going to spend a little bit more time with him probably than I will with some of the other board members because of that particular relationship. But I also am connecting him to others within the organization without it becoming an issue of stepping over the CEO role, but more of that we're in this together as partners. And so there may be opportunities where he's always bringing it through me, but then I may be directing that to somebody else to say, okay, Catrice, who's in charge of VP of program ops, why don't you come alongside Omar and talk with him about how this particular project might work? So that's just one example of many, but I would say, you know, the time is always well spent with board members, but ensuring that they're really plugging in where it makes the most sense. And for some, that's an ongoing, you know, touch point throughout the month. And for others, it might only be once a quarter, depending on what they're working on. Um, certainly board meetings are an opportunity to connect as well. But one of the things that we did that I think has really been super helpful, and this may come up a little later too, and towards a board dynamics and relationship building, is we instituted a quarterly board social. And there's no business at that meeting. That meeting is really intended to be an opportunity for board members to get to know each other a little bit better, to get to know some of our leadership team. We fit in a little bit of a mission moment with our youth, but it's really that time for them to get to know each other better 
and to, um, you know, strengthen that relationship because they're all busy people doing a lot of different things. So those are just some of the strategies that I use. And I think it's been really helpful. You know, the, the last thing what we would want is for somebody to join the board and then not feel like they're making a difference. So we really want to make sure that that's not happening. And that requires not only periodic check-ins for me, but from our governance committee and giving them a leadership role as peers of the board to make those connections and just see how's it going. Is there anything you need? Um, you know, we haven't, if somebody's missed meetings for a little bit, let's catch up with them and make sure that everything's okay. Well, you touched on so many things there, so many good words of wisdom. I assume you've learned over the years. Talk a little bit about that quarterly get to know you meeting. I love that idea because I work with a number of boards and sometimes we really don't know each other that well. We come in once a month, it's an hour, bam, you're done, you get your business done. But you've said, you recognize that as a problem, said, let's, you know, let's flip this on its head and create an environment where people can get to know each other. Absolutely. It's really worked well because there's no pressure. You know, somebody can attend great. If they can't meet that, make that one, maybe they'll come to another one. And we change it up as to what time of day. So we've done a breakfast, a lunch, after hours. You know, we've had um, a variety of places that we've met. You know, we've met at a restaurant. We've met at the club. We've, um, you know, just really tried to make it informal, but fun. And we also have used that as a, um, a place where if board members have somebody they're really interested in getting more involved with the organization, they can take that time to bring that person in as well to learn a little bit more. But again, there's no agenda. There's no business meeting happening. It's really just about getting to have some fun. And one of the things I loved about it, the first one that we did we went around the room and asked people to just share a quick story of something about themselves that nobody would know. And the stories, oh my gosh, I'll never forget them. And I can't share them today because some will be <laughs> like, hey, I, that was for our company, not for the whole world to hear. But it gave you such a different way of viewing people because you see them in their day-to-day roles, but you just ne- never know what kind of experiences they've had or you know, funny story that they have to share. And so when you have an opportunity to just spend some time like that, I think it it just elevates the entire work. Oh, I love that because we do have this perception of people. We see them in their suits and they come in, we assume that they're a certain way. And when they you know, open up a little bit, it is, oh, it's so enjoyable. I, I love that you're doing that. I think that is a brilliant idea. So kudos to whoever came up with that. And I hope you all will continue that. So, so Don, I want to change the conversation a little bit to identifying board members. You know, I, I assume you are always cultivating your board chairs as they turn over, are always cultivating. How do you approach identifying and in, in bringing in uh, prospective board members? Yes, that's such an important role as well. And up until about nine years ago, when I came in, we actually didn't have term limits on some of the board positions. We had them on our foundation board and not on the corporate board. And, you know, there's a whole nother discussion you can have about the pros and cons of term limits. But for us, it was really about offering opportunities for people to stay connected if they had that wherewithal and ability to do that long term but to also allow for that rolling off period so that we could bring new perspectives and conversation to the group. And so one of the things that we implemented was this group called Club Blue. And Club Blue was an opportunity to have people get a little more involved with what we were doing as an organization. They get all the materials for board 
meetings ahead of time. They're invited to come as often or as little as they would like. We do ask that as a Club Blue member that they join either a committee or a task force so that they have something that they're involved with on a regular basis. But it's it's almost like an auditing of the board that they get to come in and get the idea of what's happening and where they might be able to lend some expertise and provide some value. They can participate in conversation. They just can't vote on anything because they're not actually board members. So we use that as an opportunity to bring some new people in and get to know each other better. And that takes place for a period of time, um, up to a year or two, depending on you know, kind of where they're at. We have had some people that were fast track. They join Club Blue in the fall and by the next January, they're ready to go. Um, but that, that tends to be uh, somebody who's already been involved in some capacity. They're not brand new to us. And then we also use Club Blue as an offboarding process. So if they're coming off the board and they've reached their term limits, which we do two consecutive three-year terms, and then they have to come off for at least a year, and then they could be reconsidered through the governance committee and nominations. But the Club Blue also helps for people coming off the board that want to still stay involved. You know, they're not ready to kind of run off in the sunset. They want to know what's going on. They may have been working on a particular project. And you know, to me, it's there's room at the table for everyone. But let's make sure that at the board level work that it's very strategic, it's aligned to the mission and the strategic planning objectives and who those key critical area um, focus points are so that the people leading in the board have that, that strong representation for that work. And then the others that all kind of complement that, whether they're on a board or on a committee or on Club Blue, they're providing some guidance, but they're not the ones at the end of the day where the rubber hits the road that they've got that fiduciary responsibility and they've got, you know, the legal and ethical piece. Obviously, I'll have ethics that we need them to, to do. So don't get me wrong there. But, you know, it's just such a great opportunity to cultivate people. And, you know, for some, they, they join Club Blue and they decide, you know, I, I'm not really interested in the board. And that's totally fine. There's no obligation to that. And it's better to know that on the front end than to spend all that time kind of getting someone prepared and oriented and onboarded just to find out that it really wasn't for them or that they didn't understand the expectations presented. So I, I've really enjoyed that we've been able to implement that. And what that's done is it's given us a deep well to go from in terms of board nominations. So at the end of the year, when the governance committee is putting together the slate, they're not scrambling to fill positions because they've been working on that all year long and in some cases, multiple years to prepare for that succession planning. Well, I really like the idea of really a board continuum, if you will, starting from the cultivation stage, get them, start to identify them, maybe get them on the board, but maybe even your secret sauce is a place for them after they leave the board. There are so many organizations that once a person has served on the board, they go into the ether. They're gone, unfortunately. There's no role for them. And that's really a shame and disappointing. So really good plan you have there. It sounds like it's working pretty well. Thank you. Yeah, it does seem to work pretty well. And, and I'd say that, you know, each person's going to be different in terms of their availability, right? You're going to have some that have maybe even joined the board but due to other things that have happened in life, they can't make that commitment anymore. So this is a great way for them to still feel connected to things, but not have that responsibility when it's something that they feel they're not going to be able to, to um, you know, carry forward. 
Sure. And and but still stay connected because, like you said, you you know you hate to have somebody put all that energy and time and love into the mission and then disappear. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. So when you came in, I assume the board, so nine years ago, might have you, you identified opportunities for some evolution of the board members based on specific characteristics, demographics. And you always, I've heard you speak, you always talk about the kids, the kids. And so how have you evolved the board to reflect the composition of your clientele, in this case, the kids? That's a really important component of board development is that the organization has to have lots of different perspectives, viewpoints, lived experiences. We are very fortunate that as an organization that's been around for 77 years now, we've got a plethora of alumni that have been part of the clubs over the years and have their own stories to tell. Doesn't mean that you have to be an alumni to be a good board member, but as you start connecting with people who have had that lived experience, it just provides a whole different value in terms of the um, vision for the organization, setting the strategic planning goals, um, you know, just really taking all those perspectives into account. So we've been very intentional about looking at that to say, okay, are we really considering what parents today are seeing in their youth and what their youth need? Do we have that voice at the table? Do we have somebody who's been in a business um, sector that is a real heavy you know, hitter in terms of need in the community? And, and so are they able to provide their perspective as an employer, for example, because this is the future workforce, right? So you know, how are we investing in the kids today for the jobs of tomorrow? So having that perspective. So it, it's really a wide variety. It comes from the skills that the people possess, but also what are the different factors that really call back to the mission that we're trying to achieve? And, you know, for our kids, being able to see people who come from similar circumstances is really validating. It shows them that regardless of whatever the circumstances are that they're in, that there's the ability to do amazing things. And when you meet somebody who maybe had a similar upbringing to you or came from the same part of town that you came from or, you know, had had some different challenges that you might have also experienced. It just gives you that validation of like, if they can do this, I can too. And and it also helps us when we're looking at programming to say, okay, if we really want to invest in, you know, prevention and, and outreach strategies for youth to ensure that they're making good decisions and that they have the right support systems in place, let's make sure that people that are making those decisions have the knowledge that it takes to make really good um you know, plans in place for that. And that we're not just kind of shooting in the dark, hoping that something's going to stick. So I, it's really a lot of different layers to it. But what it also does from a fundraising standpoint is it, it broadens the network of people that support the work. Because when people see the diversity of your board, and I'm not just talking about their ethnic diversity, I'm talking about ages and you know, religious backgrounds and all of the different layers. There's, there's so many. <laughs> That's a whole nother discussion to really look at. We, we have this um, great visual of an iceberg and you just see the icebergs on the top, which are the, the components that most people will think about. But then there's so many layers underneath the surface to look at as well. So the more that we have those, those layers, 
tied into the uh, makeup of our board and our staff, for that matter, and our volunteers, that really, really serves our kids well. And that lifts our whole community. So, you know, we really keep that in mind in terms of board development. And it's not about checking boxes. It's really about the deeper work and ensuring that you're in a space where people can feel comfortable speaking up and giving their input and then ensuring that you're hearing that message so that it informs the work that you're trying to achieve. Oh, wow. What an evolution that you've uh, had over the last number of years and be so strategic about the board composition. I commend you for that because it that takes time. It takes thought. It takes process. It takes focusing on the kids, right? Focusing on the mission at the end of the day and then having the pieces fall in around that. Let me ask you this. As, as a CEO, what do you need from board members? What do you hope to get from bar board members? My hope for board members is that they participate fully and that they're present with the organization. And so, you know, it, I talked about it a little bit earlier that at the end of the day, I hope that whoever has committed that time and those resources to the clubs feels like when they leave that space, that they've done something really amazing, that they've left a legacy in some way that has really impacted youth in a positive way. So that's really at the end of the day, what I'm hoping to see is that there's that, you know, they, they gave, but they're getting something back out of that, that you can't put a price tag on. And that, and that's really, again, at the core of the mission and that our youth are empowered to build a stronger community. You know, it's about them. It's not about us. Um, so that's really what I hope at the end of the day for board members and, you know, and I also hope that people can feel comfortable in sharing if things are missing the mark and providing feedback, because I think feedback is a gift. We're all learning, we're all growing and and we're all, you know, building those those authentic relationships that require us to be open and honest and transparent with each other. And so there's always opportunities to learn from what someone else is experiencing to determine what we could do maybe better or differently or, um, you know, make changes along the way. And so I, I also hope that there's that sense of comfort to be able to share and to grow together. Uh, very good. So if, if to any CEO out there who is maybe new and they have, they're not working on their first board, do you have any words of wisdom advice, you know, looking back at your last nine years and how you came in, what advice would you give a, a new CEO? Yeah, new CEO. So I've been in this work for a long time. And I will say one of the things that I learned very early on, and this goes well beyond nine years here, um, was that it's very important for board and staff to know their their distinct roles and responsibilities and to um, have a good onboarding process for your board members so that they understand their part in that. So one of the things that was sort of a pitfall in past experiences was that oftentimes board members that were involved in the organizations I've been in also felt sort of that ownership over the work of the staff and that that could create some some dynamics and tension that could be challenging at times in that the board has one staff member that's their CEO everybody else within that organization reports directly or indirectly to that CEO and so to ensure that there's there's 
clearly defined roles and responsibilities to me is is imperative. And I and I learned that from, you know, not having that in place in some instances, or just um, not having a lot of clarity around it may, you know, it may have been in, in place, but it wasn't really being clearly communicated and understood by everybody. So I think that's a starting place. And then really thinking, particularly if it's a new organization where you're looking for board members, um, look for people who are really tied to the mission of your organization. And there are certain skill sets you want to have. But for example, if you are looking for a treasurer for your board, just because someone's a CPA doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be the treasurer or that they're even really aligned with your mission. So, you know, it's it's got to it's got to be both. It's got to be the skills that you need on the board, but also the people who really have the passion for the work. So, I think some of that comes back to asking questions of of candidates to understand kind of where they might be and using your existing board to help you build that board is a really crucial piece of that. I'm one person, as I said, I can only kind of look at things from my own lens. But when I involve a group through a governance committee and say, what do you think we need? And can you help to make these connections? That's where I think you get the best leverage because, you know, people have connections that you would have never had on your own. And if you can get them involved to make those conversations come together, um, you're going to have a much higher level of success than if you just try to call directly and, and set something up and they don't know you, you don't know them. So that, that's a lot of it, I think, on the beginning end. It's a huge challenge. Um, but I, I think, you know, being mindful of the skill sets that you need, as well as that mission that's the, you know, that's really what you want to see. Well, Don, clearly you know how to strategically approach a board of directors. There was so much in what you just said there. We could do any number of podcasts. I'm curious though, as we, we get to wrapping up, how do you manage it? Meaning, is it you, is there an executive secretary to the board? I'm just, how do, how do you corral, have all these meetings, these agendas? How, how does, how does boys and girls club do this? Well, I am fortunate that I have an office manager who will help do some of that communications piece for me. Um, you know, we set the agenda as a team between each board chair and myself. Each each time there's a meeting, one board meets quarterly, one meets every other month. But we set all of those meetings up at the beginning of the year so everybody can get that on their calendars. We do a board retreat annually and we have consultants that come in to, to facilitate that which is well worth the money so that they're doing that part of the work and we remain focused on the agenda. Um, but it, you know, the logistics piece is really important. We've been developing some different tools for board members to be able to plug into that, you know, using technology and ensuring that people have access to what they need on a regular basis is really important. Sometimes it does feel like herding cats you'll have something coming up and you're like, okay, we haven't heard from this one, that one, or the other one. Um, you know, so having somebody that can help make phone calls and, and do some outreach is, is really helpful. Um, but for the most part, I think people will let you know what works best for them for communication. And, you know, it's, it's my job to ensure that we understand that so that we can be effective in what we're doing. 
you know, if we don't ask the question and we just assume sending 100 emails is going to be the way to go, it's probably not going to be effective. And the one type of communication doesn't work for everybody. <laughs> so you have to make some, you know, some concessions here and there. But having a structure to that is really helpful. And um, there have been times where, you know, we've had to kind of redirect where somebody will be like, well, I don't really know how to use that tool. And we'll say, it's okay. We're going to help you figure that out together. And it might take three or four times before they get it, but we'll get there. I think you're being generous, Dawn. I'm laughing because I've known people like that. And I was, I've worked with Fords. You're being very kind, but that's wonderful. I tell you, this has been an actually a, a goldmine for any CEO to listen to and how to strategically approach a board of directors. It is not easy. It's well worth the time and effort, and it will take time and effort. And Dawn, I appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom with us. Ladies and gentlemen, Dawn Stanhope, the president and CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Manatee County. Dawn, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. All right, we just listened to Dawn Stanhope, and now we're moving into recapping with Reed. Reed, Dawn had a number of points there, and I know you've struggled to narrow it down to three because we were just talking offline. But what did you come up with? So number one is when it comes to communication between the CEO and the board members, it's not a one-size-fits-all policy. However, frequent communication is key when it comes to the CEO and board members. Oh, very good. Is that one or two? Was that just one? All right. Now we're going to move to number two. All right. Number two is when you're looking for potential board members to bring on, make sure that they have both the skills that you need and the passion for the mission. Oh, yes. You picked up on that. That was good. And number three. The board should be an integral part in recruiting new board members. It should not only be on the CEO or the board chair. Those are only two people. The whole entire board should be involved when it comes to recruiting and attracting new board members. Ah, very good. And we're chuckling here because we had a fun conversation offline before we recorded this this part of the this segment of the podcast. So there you have it. Recapping with Reed, his three key points, takeaways from our interview with Dawn Stanhope. And I want to thank everybody for listening. And we will I-501 see you next week.